surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity. Welcome to episode two of Let's Talk About It. I am your host, Taylor Nolan, joined by my wonderful co-host, Kit Bender. Why do you laugh after you say that? I can't keep a straight face. I can't, I do can't. I have something in my teeth? But today, let's talk about boxes, humanitis. Is that a made-up word that you just made up? Mm, it's a made-up word that's been made up. Okay. I'm continuing the makeup of the made-up We're legitimizing it. Maybe we'll make it an official word. Yes. For the world. Yes. Check Wikipedia after the episode and we'll see if we make it a real word. So that's what we're talking about. humanitis. Perfectionism. And of course, we're going to talk about feeling all the feelings again and talk about vulnerability. Which kind of brings us back to emotional intelligence. We got some really great feedback from that on the first episode, which was really sweet. Thank you all for writing in all of the things. Yes. All of the reflection, all of the kind of just takeaways. Uh, I feel like it was great feedback for us and validating that like we're on the right path here with kind of the purpose of what we want to be doing and um, how we want to be connecting with you guys and be helpful for you guys. So we wanted to share and talk about one of the messages that we got. Taylor, wow. Listening to your podcast right now, I'm not even halfway through it, and yet I already have so many questions and thoughts. I have really been trying hard to get in touch with my emotions lately, and it is hard. My partner and I are both very reactive people. To use your analogy, we let our emotions in the driver's seat far too often, and always, after the fact... I'm able to realize that we did that. However, in the moment, it is a completely different story. I know you talk about TMM and taking a walk or just giving each other space, but how do you get to that point of realization or even action? Sometimes I let my emotions in the driver's seat and I will think, wow, I need to take a break, but my emotions become so focused on the road that it doesn't even hear me in the back. Have you ever experienced this? What would you advise for coping with this and learning and moving past this? I think the visual of my emotions in the driver's seat really helped and put it into perspective, so maybe that will be enough for me. Anyways, love the podcast so much already. Congrats. So my first thought, can I give my first thought to it? First thought. My first thought is this person is in exactly the right place because they've started creating some kind of awareness. Mm -hmm. And that is so much of the battle. I think the reason that we're even desiring to put this out and to talk about these things is because often there's just not the awareness that this is a thing that needs attention. So right off the bat, I'd say, congratulations, you're yeah. on the right path just by saying we're reactive. We're yeah. And she asks, you know, how do you get to that point of realization? You're there. You're there. Yeah. Y- you know, what's happening in the moment. You just don't know what to do about it. And that, that's kind of like where her question is coming from. And I think the best thing you can do is say that that's happening. Yeah. Find any way to create space and Mm -hmm. just recognize 
this, I'm not driving the car anymore, something else is, yeah. and find a way to stop it. And that may tra- take some trial mm-hmm. and error of having yeah. a conversation with your partner of saying, in what way can we just tap the brakes a little bit? Mm-hmm. Just just stop and just recognize that something else is driving. And that's where I would love for her to share that episode with her partner. Yeah. They're both aware that they're very reactive in you know, how they respond. Um, and to bring up to him and to say the same thing that she said to us and to say, let's come up with a word when one of us realizes that this is happening. Mm. If you can't come to the point where you can tell each other, Hey, this is happening. I think we've lost control of this. We're both being super reactive. Like I can't have a TMM. You're not having a TMM. If you can't get to that point to say all of that, maybe talk about it in normal life, you know, share the episode and maybe just say, we need to come up with a safe word of Mm -hmm. when we need to stop and take a break. Because right in the middle of whatever the heated exchange is Mm -hmm. always going to be, or it's always going to at least feel like the wrong time to bring something up because it kind of is. You have to get ahead of the game and Mm -hmm. say, we need to have language to talk about this when it comes up. Yes. That's really And she's already kind of doing that like with herself. So I would love to see her bring that to her partner. And even if it's like, (laughs) even if you're in the middle of this argument and you're yelling at each other and you yell your safe word, like even if you're screaming your safe word and you're still in the midst of anger, (laughs) that's still taking a step. (laughs) You should make your safe word like a really funny word that's like really strange to say so that when you do say it, like purple unicorns that you're just like, yes. Okay. There's no way, no reason that that person would say that in real life. And then maybe you'll chuckle a little bit yeah, and bring some laughter and joy. Yeah. Um, but, and then at that point, any way to stop the car and mm-hmm. just recognize what's going on. But thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, cause you're yeah. in a really critical place there. And I think when you approach this with your partner, I think an important thing is to make sure that, cause I don't think think that you're, you would be doing it out of judgment, but it's easy when we bring up these topics to feel guarded because, mm-hmm. oh no, that means someone's, someone's saying, oh no, they, they think I'm dumb. They think, you know, and that's not really what's going on at all. Yeah. We're just collectively saying there are more factors that we can look at. So, mm-hmm. and I just want to make an important point here before we move on that, um, you know, for this listener, this is a situation that she's recognizing with her romantic partner, but that, you know, you may have a very reactive relationship with a certain friend of yours or a coworker or or your mom or your sister. Like this could be applied anywhere (laughs) in any relationship. Family is sometimes (laughs) the place where we're the most reactive, right? Yes. Yes. So this is a good thing to bring into the holidays. Yes, exactly. (laughs) We're around our families. And boxes is good for the holidays too. And boxes. I heard someone say, a a spiritual teacher say one time, that if you think you're enlightened, go home for the holidays. Mm. They're going to test everything. So So we're going to talk about boxes and humanitis, but kind of within the scope of uh, this talk that I did with this organization called Active Minds, they 
are an organization that's really focused on changing the conversation about mental health, uh, but more specifically like with students. So they invited me to their national conference to accept an award for being like an outspoken leader in the community of mental health and just like, you know, bringing things like emotional intelligence to the platform. Uh, And then also wanted me to be their keynote speaker. So I did a talk on how being on the show impacted my mental health. Did you choose this topic? It kind of all just came about, but it was so comfortable and easy. Oh, I bet. I bet. Just open up that box and see what's in there. It's fine. Yes, there was a lot. So, you know, the topics of boxes and humanitas and perfection and a couple of other things that we're going to talk about today were all kind of brought up throughout that speech. Um, And I've gotten a lot of comments and messages from you guys asking to hear the speech and where they, where you guys could find it. Uh, We're going to share it in this episode, some quotes from it, but then also in the episode description, there will be a link so you guys can also click on that to watch the full speech if you would like to. Now, would you recommend that they pause the podcast now and go watch it and then come back to the podcast, or do you think it doesn't matter? I think you can do whichever one you'd like. Okay. I don't think... It'll pull We're just going to go a little bit deeper into the topics that were brought up on there. Um, You know, the the speech itself is a lot more focused towards students who are wanting to enter the field of mental health. So if you're someone who is already in school and is preparing to be in the field, or if you are someone interested in going to school to be in the field, then I would totally recommend going and listening to the speech because it's definitely geared towards, um, you know, struggling with identity in terms of being a professional, but also being a person, uh, which is where the humanitis comes in. Um, but also, you know, kind of that self-compassion of being yourself, also being a helper. Um, Because there's kind of, there's a different standard. And and when we talk about mental health, uh, you know, we talk about this stigma that surrounds mental health, but it also surrounds the professionals working in the field. So the... Do you think all kind of helper fields have this stigma that's attached to them? Yes, yes. And I think even, you know, I mean... What really is mental health? That's a great question. Mental health is, it, it's so, not, not that it's basic because it's very complex, but it's not, um, it's not this, what's the word I'm looking for? Here's how I understand me- mental health. Can I give my, my side of it? Yeah. The way I look at mental health is it is one part of the complexity of what it means to be human. The way that my I kind of break it down is it seems like we have a physical side of us and we also have a, a mental and emotional side of us it's inside of our brain. Uh, and then we also have some kind of energetic or spiritual side of us. And I think they're all completely interrelated and intertwined and they very much affect each other. Um, but we also have to, on purpose, take time to look at each one. So mental health is just taking a component of ourselves mm-hmm. and just finding a way to look uh, critically at it or compassionately at it or however we're looking at it, it, we're creating space for it. And I think the the word I'm looking for in my head is mental health is not this foreign thing. You know, it, yep. it's something within us and, and it's, it's complex, but it's also there. You know, we, it, mental health is 
really about our emotional state and we are very emotional beings. We're always feeling and our actions are impacted by our feelings and our health, our physical health is impacted by our feelings and our thoughts. So it's, it's not this foreign thing that is so unknown to any of us. That's like this big thing that no one, you know, can understand or figure out or learn to comprehend. You know, our mental health is really just one component of who we are and it's always with us. Which is why it's so important to talk about it and to give it the attention that it honestly deserves. Um, it can lead to, you know, if we're not checking in and we're not creating that space, like you mentioned, um, a lot of things can go wrong. A I think lot that's, of things can happen. that's why we talked about earlier how top performers in all professions will have some high level of emotional intelligence or, and I think what that is implying is that all those people have at least their finger on the pulse of their own mm-hmm. mental health. Yeah. And, and when we talk about this stigma around mental health and around the professionals, it's, it's this shame and kind of disgrace associated with our mental health, which then leads us to not really want to talk about it. And to not feel like it's a safe thing or that it's a societally acceptable thing. And then, then we're silent about it. So with the main two topics that we're really going to cover today, boxes and humanitis, both of those kind of have a large component of vulnerability. So before we kind of hop into boxes and humanitis, I'm going to share a little bit about vulnerability that I talked about in the speech and then also kind of how vulnerability plays into boxes and humanitis. And this was kind of when I started this journey towards exploring myself and doing my own self-reflection, especially in terms of how vulnerable I actually am in my life, which brought me to this moment, uh, made me think of Tom. Tom was in my uh, group counseling course in graduate school. This was a very intimate course. And he said to me, he's like a really straight shooter kind of guy, uh, he was like, Taylor, you're really good at like getting people to open up to you and uh, you know, getting to know them, but you really don't let anyone get to know you. He was like, you think you do, but you don't. And immediately in my head, I'm like, what? you don't even know what you're talking about. You don't know me. And then I was like, mm, that's what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah, he, he doesn't know me. That's right. Okay. Um, and realized that that serves me well in my career, but not necessarily in my personal life. So again, was kind of on this journey to like explore vulnerability, was in therapy, was journaling. Um, but most importantly was exploring vulnerability in terms of dating, which is super fun. Um, and that's kind of when the opportunity to go on The Bachelor came up. Um, I was recently single. I was dating. I was in Seattle. And the opportunity came up, and I was kind of like, this would be pretty unconventional and a little out there, but I don't want to look back and wonder, what if? I didn't want to not do something just because I was really scared and wouldn't have any control over how it would turn out. If only Tom could see you now. So Tom spoke some very wise words, but it's something that we all need to hear. I know I need to hear it all the time. There's parts of me that I'm, I constantly have to remind myself to like 
to speak up and to mm-hmm. to say more. That is a, a constant struggle of mine, which yeah. is why I'm happy to be able to say some of it here in, in such a loving space with you. Yeah. I mean, being vulnerable definitely takes a certain, certain safe space and it, and it takes a lot of courage. And that's where, you know, in talking about my speech and kind of, uh, accepting yourself as a helper and all the different parts of your identity that may or may not all be in alignment with each other. Uh, it takes a great level of courage to, be able to go against the grain in that sense and to not fit into that specific box that whether in the past you tried to put yourself in or that other people have tried to put you in that, you know, take that conscious step towards being vulnerable, which is just show up and be seen, be your authentic self. We had someone ask us the other day what the difference between risk and vulnerability is. And I thought, a lot about that uh, because it seemed initially this person was thinking that they're very similar things. That you know, what's the difference between doing a risky thing and doing a vulnerable thing? And I think that they are very, very similar actually. But the vulnerability just has to do with the way that a thing interacts with us and that we respond to it on whatever level, consciously or unconsciously, and the risk has to do with our action. So Mm -hmm. acting vulnerably requires some kind of risk at some point. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was going to say. Vulnerability is a risk. Is a risk, yes. You, You are, you know, in being courageous, you're taking a risk that you might get met with rejection. Yeah. You might not be seen. But I think those are two things that are, they go in hand in hand. But I think you can take a risk without being vulnerable. And I think you yes. can be vulnerable without taking risks. You can be vulnerable and overly sensitive, but never assert yourself. And that can be, yes. that can be just as bad as taking a bunch of personal risks without exposing any of you at all. And then you just are ingenuine yes. in your actions. Here we are, we're talking about Tom and boxes and exposing. Exposing. (laughs) We're exposing the boxes. We're exposing all the parts of ourselves. All with the help of Tom. Who is? In this loving space. (laughs) Tom is facilitating all sorts of debauchery. What have you opened to say? Insightful reflections. Thank you, Tom. The box of Tom. Yeah, the box of Tom. So when we think about boxes... <laughs> so what are the boxes that we, who aren't students and aren't people going into that profession, how, are, how do we have boxes and what are the ways that we all suffer from humanitis and what do we do about it? Let's talk about that. At that time, I was in my early 20s. Uh, I still am, right? I'm 24. <laughs> um, I was uh, in my early 20s. I was interested in modeling. I was passionate about rescuing animals. Uh, I was super into like eating organic and working with local farmers. Um, I was putting my heart and soul into a dying relationship, actually. Uh, I'm half black, half white, and so I was working on some self-esteem issues that were coming up from being bullied when I was younger. Uh, I was actually working as a promo girl at a nightclub in Baltimore City, and I was in school to become a therapist. So there were a lot of different things happening during this time. 
And towards the end of my graduate schooling, uh, you know, I was like, these all fit into like what being a therapist looks like. <laughs> um, like, is this okay? And came to the conclusion that no one is perfect, even as therapists. Uh, and that last part was especially important. Even as therapists, you don't have to be perfect. Uh, I realized I didn't have to just be one thing. I didn't have to fit into this little box of what people think you should be as a helper. Um, and I began to, became to really dislike boxes. It's like, if anyone tries to put me in a box, like, mm-mm, I'm kicking that box right open and, like, let me be me. Um, and was really just working on, like, embracing all parts of myself as a whole human being. And even if those parts contradict each other or don't necessarily make sense together, that, that's okay. They all make up who I am. So the boxes really have a large part to do with the shoulds. The shoulds that are put on us by whoever created that box. And that person could be yourself. Right. Because some boxes or all boxes exist in the brain on some level, but just some are uh, put on us by other people because of the Mm -hmm. way that we're raised or because of the profession. And some are put on us by the way that we think about ourselves. One thing I liked in that clip about how you phrased it is you were on purpose to continue to use the word helper because I think what you're talking about applies to more and more and more and more fields. I think there used to be this reality that people in a helper profession were in a completely different class of people. They were the, the teachers or the reverends or the professors and the preachers. And they were in some ways isolated from society, but I think it it was kind of a guru culture. I think what we're really moving towards is this understanding that we all have, that we're all each other's teachers. So we're all helpers in some way. So while we don't want to be hypocritical and not practice what we preach and uh, claim to be one thing and be something different, that's, that's just about having a certain amount of integrity, but we're all helpers and we all have something to teach and we all have something to learn from every single person around us. So broadly understanding helpers as a profession, but mm-hmm. also as just the way we kind of all should be yeah. is, is a really great way to, to, to just collectively rise out of those boxes that we want to just put in people, mm-hmm. but also give a lot of grace to people that are trying to help. Cause I think yeah. it's something that we need more of. We need more people mm-hmm. talking. Yeah. But then be careful there because even as you're saying that, you're like, as we all should be. In, yeah. So even there is like a should. A should in that we should all be helpers? Yes. Is that a box though that I'm just, I'm creating for humans in general? Is that, is there yes, a like point I think at that which that is the like box is big a very enough? positive box and that's a box of like a hope for what all of society could aim for. Like I think it's a good goal, but then I think like even how easily that like flowed in your sentence is like how much the shoulds are engraved in our daily language when we're talking to people. And especially for people who are, you know, whether they're in their adolescence and they're in high school or they're in school and they're trying to figure out like what they want to do. You know, that 
getting those messages is like so critical because you're at such a critical point in your life. Uh, say you're pregnant, you're about to have your first kid. Like that's a very critical time. And I feel like young moms or even new moms, uh, get the shoulds thrown at them left and freaking right all the time, you know? Uh, so it's like, yes, there are some shoulds that are kind of like these positive, like hopeful things, you know, that like would be great if they happen, but those can so quickly like slide down into like the danger zone Hmm. where it gets to be like pressure. I think I just use the word should, and it's an interesting word because it it does in some levels and in a lot of contexts imply a box. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of it more in zooming out to those things that I think on some levels we all should do. And that's, we all should create more awareness of, of our mental state. We should all create, uh, an environment that more healing can take place instead of destruction. Absolutely. So that's, that's how I use the word should. I agree with that. Context. I agree with that. But I think you're right. Whenever, whenever we wrap a should around something, Mm -hmm. it has attached to it this expectation and yes. therefore a box of how we, we think someone else should behave. Yes. And I think a lot of times too, you know, when I think about the boxes that I've been put in, A, as a helper, B, as a woman, C, as a woman of color, D, as a young woman, <laughs> yeah. uh, that there are many parts of those stereotypical boxes or should boxes that I completely am in disagreement with or are not in alignment with at all who I am. And that's the part where kind of I started to struggle with my mental health. And that especially happened from the show, which was something, well, that happened from the feedback I got from the show on social media. And that's a large part of kind of what I reflected on, um, in this speech, but it made me think of perfectionism and that really like, (sighs) does it seem like perfectionism is that the expectation that you have for yourself or that someone else seems to have for you to be in a certain box? I think it can be a little bit of both, but I think there's, a strong difference between like self-improvement and perfectionism. And like, I think totally when, even when people listen to this, you know, when they, uh, are, are striving perhaps towards being a better version of themselves that be realistic with what version of yourself you are striving for. And that it is not this perfect, uh, you know, unrealistic version of what a person is even capable of doing. So you're, again, you're saying create your own box, create your own friggin' box (laughs) and be a full package. That's one thing I said a lot before I went on the show was about like being a full package on your own as a complete person. As I was like working through all that self-improvement stuff and making sure like I was in a good place if I met someone, you know, that like I'd be in a good place, that the timing would be good for me, 
and then hopefully the chemistry would follow. And so part of like being a full package, you know, was like I had my box together. Like I was confident and happy with like all the items in my box. I had like really analyzed them and um, grown to like accept them and love them, even like the flawed items in the package that might not be perfectly wrapped, um, but like had this uh, kind of story made up in my head about like how we're all packages floating around in like the, you know, UPS system, the postal service. And- the postal service of <laughs> the universe. Yes. And that our, you know, when, when we're dating and things don't work out, like maybe that package was just delivered to the wrong door. Like maybe your package was delivered and the person was on vacation and yeah. then your package sat out there in the freaking rain for like months right. and so like then you got to get your package back together like you got to like get may- back in there maybe it went to the then- wrong place but then maybe it went to the right place at the wrong time yes and then maybe it went to the to a okay place and you know the person got the box they opened it up they liked some of the items but then some of the other items they like threw in the trash and yeah. you know tried to fix the other items and it was like no that's not what you're supposed to do and so then it's like the idea is that hopefully one day your box will be delivered and the person will accept the box and they'll really love and appreciate the items in there. And the ones that they don't understand, they will work to understand and they will value the box as a full package that you are. How do you know (laughs) when your package is full and then how do you know when it showed up to the right place? <laughs> I think you know when your package is full when you feel like you've created a box that is authentic to you mm-hmm. and that you can feel confident in presenting as this is me. And regardless of the rejection that you may get, you are still happy with all those items in that box and you still feel confident in who you are. Even the parts that are works in progress. Yes, because we're always works in progress. So when we're okay with and in a spot where we are ready to open it up and just say, "This is these are the contents of the box, mm-hmm. take it or leave it, that's when yeah. we know we mm-hmm. can put the out for delivery stamp on there. Yes, because even like that's a super important part too. Like yeah. are you going to tape your box up in a way that is like openable? You know, are you going to be one of those stupid plastic wrapped, boxes like the Sonicare toothbrushes and stuff like that that you can't freaking open and then you're like Larry David like trying to open (laughs) these stupid plastic things that are just like did you want me to open the package like was the package even meant to be opened in the first place (laughs) I think there's just a natural thing that the human brain does is that it it does put things in boxes Mm -hmm. but I also because we like to categorize it's how we like make sense of things you know and I think just to say don't do that ever is going to leave the brain nothing to do. Mm-hmm. Instead, I think it's it's important to think about, well, let's just create our own box. Let's create yeah. the reality even, that we want to live in. Even like see that box that that person's trying to put you in and be like, I see that box. There may be items in that box I like and maybe items in that box I want to put in my box. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> we got to be real careful before this starts to sound sexual. You want to you wanna put things in your box. <laughs> okay. I mean, that's that's a whole different way to flirt. You're up... <laughs> You're at the- <laughs> on your next first date, maybe don't talk about boxes. <laughs> yeah, things, I see things in your box. I want to put my box in. In your no, that just that, does, that works on zero levels. Zero levels. It doesn't 
It doesn't work. <laughs> um, but I think when, like, something that I thought about with doing the speech, uh, with being on the show and daily life, when it comes to creating your own box, that that takes a certain uh, level of authenticity. I think there is the boxes that were created very early on are mm-hmm. the hardest ones. And I think the process of defining your own sense of self outside yes. of those boxes. Like I grew up in a very particular subculture. I grew up in a, in, a, in a very religious household. And as a result was given a really strict box of what life was supposed to look like. And I identified with that box for a long, long, long time. You didn't know you could have a different box. I didn't know that there was really a lot of other options. I, I, my goal was to try to fit into that box as best I could. And and, and what would that mean? What would that mean in the if con- you if you successfully were that box? Well, I think in some ways I was very successfully that box. I yeah. I followed the rules as best as I could and was a you know, a poster child of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I was very involved. I went to a, a, a conservative Christian university and then I got married and I, I, I f- seemed to follow all the rules and there was a part of me that continued to feel separate from myself. Yeah, like and you were watching this strange version of yourself that didn't feel right, follow this path and check all these things off the box and literally being that box. Yeah. Checking off like the contents of the box should yes. include these things. And I was like, but I am those things, but it didn't, but it didn't feel, feel genuine. And if I actually asked my own sense of inner self, I was in disagreement with a lot of things. And so yes. it was actually a really long process of just saying, I'm not that box anymore and recreating the box the way I wanted to. And what I found was that a lot of things in that box were actually really good and really important mm-hmm. and things that I've carried with me for many, many years and, and even walked away from but then have come back to. But it wasn't until I recreated my own sense of self that I could go back to it and not identify with that other box but still pull things from it. Yes. I love that. So it's been and, a lot. Yeah. And, and But the point where one of the things you say in that that I really appreciate is that you talk about time because there's not a process that just happens overnight, you know, that that is, that can take many years for that to happen. And again, that's kind of like the journey that we're all on, isn't it? Actually, that is one of the most important lessons I feel like I've learned in all of it is that adding the component of time. Anytime you can zoom out and say some things just take time and mm-hmm. let them take time, it's, it is incredible in its ability to take the pressure off. We don't have yeah. to fix everything overnight. We don't have to fix ourselves. We don't have to fix anyone else. But getting on the path and then just continuing to move that direction and give it that time, that's incredibly powerful. And part of that might also just giving yourself space to just be. Yeah, separating it away from those, you know, bad vibes or or the energy, the people that are pulling yeah. you down or the people that are continually have something negative mm-hmm. to say. Sometimes you just have to walk away. Yeah. That friend that's like constantly like one-upping you. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. not helpful for me. <laughs> nope. Not at all helpful for me. Uh, 
But because all that is is box comparison. That's that's someone yelling from their confinement mm-hmm. that you should be as confined as them, and uh, your reality should be one that is yep. celebrating who yeah. you are. And I think that the fear in not being that box, because I think that there's you know a certain uh, step that one takes when you start talking about. Um, you know, kind of the time frame and moving towards creating your own box that there, there's a step of how do I move there and what does that mean leaving this comfort box that has this pressure in it that doesn't necessarily feel like me, but what are my fears in creating my own box and what do I, why am I staying in this comfort box. Absolutely. Tribes and groups of people, mm-hmm. especially I say, I say tribes, just meaning the collective consciousness of, of the way that people have interact or like to interact together. Yeah. Uh, they can be very powerful and they can be very influential in us having an understanding of what's right and what's wrong mm-hmm. and what the expectations are. And when we get on the fringes of that, there's always pushback. And I think that the biggest Thing, at least that comes to my mind is this fear that you won't be successful or that you won't be loved. Mm. You won't be worthy. You won't succeed. I, I don't know. Those are all the messages that come to my head when I think of, you know, that step towards creating your own box. And yeah. because you know that that Perhaps, you know, and perhaps it will, perhaps it won't. But for me, at least, it was going against these messages and thoughts that I had always been told about what I should be. So it's literally a a journey of day-to-day decisions and choosing to show up and be you and, like, go to sleep at night knowing that, like, you at least made one effort of being your total authentic self. Mm. Whether it, it could be by yourself, it could be with one person, it could be, you know, you raising your hand and saying something honest in class. It could be you saying, you know, I really don't care what you did to your friend who's always bragging. It could be writing it down in your journal. I know for me, those are some of the most like, um, impactful moments are when I just finally put what I've been thinking in my head that I feel is maybe wrong or is, is going to lead me to fail and just putting it down, like makes it real and is in some ways relieving and like gets it just out of me. And it's like, that was real. Right. Because a lot of, like I said, boxes are all in, in people's heads. Yes. And regardless of how you think of yourself, other people are going to be thinking of they're, they're automatically trying to put you in some box. Yeah, and they're projecting you. you into that mm-hmm. box, and that's fine. Yeah, if we recognize that that's what everybody's doing, and then t- take a step back from it and realize, okay, they're yeah. projecting something. I actually get to decide who I am. The more we talk about boxes, our own and others. The ones we create for ourselves, the ones that others create for themselves and for others and for ourselves. It seems that we are all suffering from one condition. A 
thing that affects us all at the deepest level. Humanitis. <laughs> Humanitis. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Which There's is a word we're not quite sure. We're not quite sure how official this word is, or whether we collectively, us and the Toms out there, need to collectively uh, coin and use together to describe the condition that we all have: humanitis. I'm not sure if anyone in here has heard of this phrase. Can you raise your hand if you have? Uh, has anyone heard of humanitis? <laughs> Thank you. Um, so when I was in my first internship, uh, I heard one of my mentors use this phrase, humanitis. And she was using it when she was talking to a client. She was kind of like giving her crap for having a hard day. Uh, you know, she like left her notes somewhere and, you know, was just kind of frazzled. And the client was giving her much crap for it. And she was like, you know what? I'm suffering from humanitis today. Okay, give me a break. And... I was like, oh, that's really interesting that she would say that. You know, it's like she's using this phrase to try to humanize herself to a client. And that's, you know, when all this stuff happened with the show, I thought back to that and I was like, yeah, there's actually a real reason for that phrase. <laughs> um, that we have to like remind people that even as helpers and even being a part of the field that we're human too. And, you know, <sighs> It's hard because in, in society, in the greater picture, we're held to a very different standard. Um, you know, again, this box that we're supposed to fit in of what we think a therapist should look like. Uh, you know, it's like, I think once you go through schooling and you have this title that now you have this innate set of skills that you're going to use in every situation you're in with every single person you meet in all situations, no matter how subjective you are. Um, and that sounds a little impossible. I really don't, I can't think of anyone that is able to do that. Um, you'd be like a robot, uh, or Jesus. Um, so, and again, when you think about this, this box and this notion of, uh, what you're supposed to be as a therapist, that is again, another struggle and identity that then I started to face. And I wonder if you guys have faced or will face um, but at the end of the day, again, the thought that I keep going back to is we don't have to be perfect. Uh, we don't have to be perfect as helpers, and we don't have to be perfect as people. Uh, the concept that it's okay to not be okay. So only one person raised their hand. <laughs> and said that they in a room of like a word. couple hundred people. <laughs> Okay, let's bring this. Let's, so, uh, we need the Google analytics for the word humanitis <laughs> to skyrocket at the no. same level that emotional intelligence did when we talked yeah. about it. So I thought in this room of you know mental health uh, practitioners and students in the field uh, that more people would have heard of humanitis. I thought like once I heard it at my internship, I was like, okay, cool. This is like the undercover word that like therapists use when like their clients, you know, are being really judgy and like thinking that they need to be these perfect human beings. Um, but like only one person had heard of it. And, and that one person was the person I had already told about it. <laughs> <laughs> so that so. doesn't count. That doesn't count. Doesn't really count. Um, but I mean, Humanitis came up in my speech specifically for 
helpers. And we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but it I find that it very much goes along with the boxes because it's being held to this different standard, holding yourself or other people in your lives or society, uh, depending on certain parts of your identity that may be ha- being held to a different standard and that that's kind of impossible to be held to a different standard than everybody or sorry else? like to be held to like this impossible a, like yeah, perfect, perf- perfectionism perfection yes that is kind of impossible completely impossible jesus unless you're jesus our cats are perfect Felinitis is a different thing. Oh my they're god! All, they're they're all subject to felinitis. We all, su- we all suffer from humanitis with the case with it with cases of felinitis. You and I have felinitis, where we just we overly uh, put cats on a pedestal of some kind and feel all the feelings because <laughs> they feel all the. It's feelings. a play on words like felines and feelings. <laughs> it's perfect. I love it. Perfect. Let me give you a task. Pick out a wine you're going to love, but there's a catch. It has to be one you haven't had before. Where would you start? Introducing Wink, spelled W-I-N-C. Wink makes it easy for you to discover great wines because every month they ship you wines matched to your taste and personalized to you. They're wines you're going to love and they're shipped right to your door. All you have to do is open and enjoy. Unlike the grocery store that won't help you select wines or deliver to your door, with Wink, you get to explore rare and interesting wines from around the world, tailored to you from the comfort of your home. There are no membership fees. You can skip any month, cancel any time, and Wink has a 100% satisfaction guarantee, so you never pay for a bottle you don't like. And for a limited time, you can get $22 off when you go to trywink.com slash taylor22. That's trywink, spelled T-R-Y-W-I-N-C, dot com slash taylor22 for $22 off. So one thing that I brought up in the speech that really played a large part in like my vulnerability when talking about the boxes and the humanitis, especially from the show and just in normal life, uh, is shame. Mm. There's a, a difference between shame and guilt and, and what I felt being in a box and suffering from humanitis was not guilt, but was shame. I didn't feel like I did bad things, but it, made me feel like I was a bad person. And there's a difference there where you're personalizing it to yourself. And that can become very apparent in your self-talk. So if you are listening to that inner voice of yours and if you make a mistake at work and immediately your inner voice is like, God, I'm so stupid. As opposed to just understanding that you did something wrong. Oh, God, that that was really stupid of me to do. Which is a subtle difference, but in self-talk is incredibly powerful because our brain doesn't understand the difference. It just hears those words Mm -hmm. and reacts accordingly. And if we're constantly just saying that we are stupid, it it begins to affect us eventually. Yep. And if you're hearing those messages from other people, whether it's someone you're in a relationship with, at work, whatever the case may be. So do you kind of understand humanitis then as that subtle difference between... I'm stupid and I did a stupid thing of we all, we all have the capacity to do a lot of things. And some of it's going to be, it's part of our human nature to just err on some, in some ways. I think feeling shame is 
totally humanitis. Hmm. Feeling shame or guilt, either one of them, I feel like both are part of humanitis because not suffering from humanitis at all would be, I'm totally perfect. I'm fine. Right. A narcissist or an egomaniac (laughs) of some kind. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I think that the the point is that we all suffer from humanitis because we're all human. And that's an important piece to remember that you're not like compassion robots as therapists. Brené. Maybe I bet Brené. One of the things that she researched a lot was how to combat shame and uh, shame resilience. And one of the components of that, you know, I just mentioned like self-compassion. Uh, she talks about, you know, being realistic, doing a reality check. Uh, you know, that was one of the things like with my speech and being a therapist or being someone in the helping field, any helping field that, you know, you can't put yourself to that standard or put that pressure on yourself to be perfect and to be able to be your job at all times in your life and to do your job perfectly every time. Um, that that's, very unrealistic. Like, give yourself a reality check. Uh, just because you're a lawyer doesn't mean that any disagreement that you encounter in your personal life you're able to handle perfectly. Yeah. Um, because you're a nurse does not mean that in your personal life you treat every single person that you come by who needs a freaking Tylenol. Right. I don't know. Right. <laughs> uh, but also to share your shame. Mm. And that was a huge piece for me of doing the speech was kind of that shame resilience work of like, I felt so much shame after the show and dealt with so much anxiety and so much like depression and just not a good place, um, which I talk about in the speech, but that doing the speech itself and even doing this podcast and talking about different things like that's part of the shame resilience when we talk about mental health and the stigma how do we break down the stigma we break it down by talking about it like silence only feeds the shame and the more we talk about it the the smaller and smaller and smaller shame's voice gets because we take the the weight away from it yes and that's that's why i also want to encourage you guys to share the episode with a friend or a family member or a partner or a coworker and have a conversation about that, you know, like get personal and take that risk to be vulnerable and authentic and to show up and create your own box and beat that shame. Right. Right. I think it's even possible to extend our car or really Liz Gilbert's car analogy over here and recognizing that shame is a, is a thing that likes to take over the steering wheel whenever possible, uh, along with fear. But part of the process is just simply recognizing that that is normal, but then also, uh, stepping out, getting in that driver's seat again, uh, and letting, letting shame be part of the, part of the conversation and not just suppress it and not just pretend it's Mm -hmm. not there. But also, like, hear its voice, but also not give it the steering wheel. Not let it have all the weight. Yeah. Because it will just pull you to a very dark place. Yeah. I have very much been in that dark place before. Yeah. And it is it takes a lot of 
hard work and it takes a lot of practice to come out of that and progress again, you know, with the whole concept of humanitis in and of itself, you have to be compassionate with yourself. You, you've got to look at yourself and your thoughts and your feelings from a place of openness and lack of judgment. Did you feel different before and after the speech? Kind of. I mean, I had a little bit of a vulnerability hangover. Yeah. Brene. Um, but, (laughs) but since, since it has felt very nice to have put it out there. Cause I didn't even really talk about those kinds of things with like friends and family about how it really impacted me. I talked about it with other girls from the show who I was like really close with and who kind of could, I felt empathize. Uh, and that's, that's a really important part of the shame resilience is sharing with people who you trust people who have earned the right to hear your story. Right. And I felt like the people in that room with me who were, you know, passionate about pursuing this field and we're in this field and wanting to work really hard to like make a difference and change people's lives. I felt like every person in that room had earned my trust and had earned the right to hear my struggles and, that they would be open with it and they would a relate and b reflect and that both of those things would allow them to make improvements in their work and also possibly in their lives. And that's also how I feel about doing this podcast. So because it's a, it's an extension of that idea, I think in some levels to start with sharing with people who you trust, who have earned your trust, but then to take it a step further. Take that risk. To take the risk and actually share it with a lot of people. is yeah. a, It's a whole other next level, but I think that just that shows, I think that can be part of the healing process is Absolutely. what I'm saying, is, is making that progression of, okay, I've said this to someone that, that has earned the trust, but mm-hmm. then actually we can all heal in some way together. If I include other yes. people in my healing, we actually all heal together. Yeah. Just like when we, when we destroy, we contribute to the overall destruction of things. But then, and, and when the, the more vocal mm-hmm. we are with our destruction, the more we contribute to the overall destruction. Yes. And negativity. And negativity. But at the same time, the more we are vocal, not in from a place of weakness, but from a place of strength and actually of yeah. life and growth, the more we put that healing energy out and heal openly and publicly, we also allow other people's space mm-hmm. to heal. And part of that is creating that box, creating your own box and being who you are. And <laughs> I'm sorry, but this makes me think of another Brene quote. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, this quote comes to my mind specifically because I like, made it a piece of art. I made a canvas of it, which was very therapeutic. Um, but that owning our story and like trusting ourselves, loving ourselves through that process is the bravest thing we will ever do. And exactly what you were just saying in doing that, you are owning your story and you are loving yourself through that. And that again was a huge part of what that speech was for me and is totally what 
doing this podcast is as well. That's what it is for me too. You know what this reminds me of though? It reminds me of the scene in Game of Thrones. <laughs> Game of Thrones. When Tyrion and Jon Snow are on their way to the wall. Yes. And uh, Tyrion gives Jon the following advice. I looked it up because I thought it was uh, fit, it fits so perfect. He said, never forget what you are. The rest of the world will not. Wear it like armor and it can never be used to hurt you. What he's referring to is the fact that Tyrion was a, a dwarf and Jon was a bastard. Yes. And they lived in a culture where those things were automatically stigmatized and there was a lot of boxes that they were mm-hmm. just immediately placed in. But both of them wanted more, obviously. Yes. They were and, working on creating their own. And, and they, they successfully they did. did. Uh, one thing, though, that I would maybe even add is Tyrion starts with advising to use that uh, misidentity or that box as an armor. But I think we can actually take it a step further and go not just on the defense, but actually go on the offense with that thing. And like we said, by actually allowing others to be part of the the healing of whatever that thing Mm is, again, not from a place of weakness, but from a place of, of growth, Uh, we actually help other people heal as well. So we really hope that this has either started the healing process for one of you guys or has helped heal something from listening to today's episode. Um, You know, we really kind of want that to be the theme going forward here in this podcast, that we are all healing together and uh, we are all in this together. Not to like sound high school musical-y, but... (laughs) We are all in this together. We're lost. You can go with lost. (laughs) Together we succeed. Alone we die. Whatever. Something like that. That got dark real quick. (laughs) (laughs) Don't quit Uh, laughing. Let's let's stick to the other one. Yeah. Uh, Kit, do we have assignment? I think step number one should be to just begin to recognize more of the boxes that we have put around ourselves and that other people have put around us and that we've put around other people. Reflect on the boxes. Recognize what those are and then decide for yourself, what is a part of this that I need to keep? What is this a part of my identity that I resonate with through and through? And what is it a part is, what of it is a part of my conditioning that I've got to find a way to unlearn and maybe let go of so that I can be my... What parts don't feel like you? Yeah. Because you ultimately want to just be your most true and authentic self. And maybe you reach a point over the week where you feel like you can take a step towards that. And maybe it's sharing with someone. Maybe it's actually taking a step and being vulnerable and letting that be seen, your true self. Um, But also maybe it's just, maybe that step takes time. And that's okay too. Absolutely. So please give us a review on iTunes. You can shoot us an email at ask.letstalkaboutit at gmail.com or you can reach out to us on social media on Instagram at Tamoka or at Kitbender. We'll see you next week. Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. 
Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity.